Hi, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. Happy New Year. I hope 2020 has started out well for you and you had some good celebrations a couple weeks back with family and friends. So with this new year, which is certainly going to be an important year in American history and just really for the whole world, It's a good time for some new thinking, right? Nothing like the new year for some new thinking. Out with the old and in with the new. And as we're getting pretty close to the primary season and Democrats will soon begin the nomination process here and, you know, in a couple months we're going to know who the Democratic presidential nominee is going to be. So I, I think this is a perfect time to kind of set a new template here for how we should think going forward. And look, there is certainly a lot of hand-wringing going on, and I think some of it for good reason about the candidates that we have that look like they might uh, prevail. I don't think anyone is particularly jazzed, except for some real uh, intense uh, loyal fans of a couple of the, the candidates that are still in the running. Uh, But I want to kind of move beyond that. I don't want to get into the horse race type stuff here uh, because we are really going to be approaching the most important election of our lifetime in, you know, uh, 10 short months here. And I know every election in American history is always, or at least recent American history, is always considered the most important. But I think this one clearly is. Because if someone as evil and insane as Trump gets reelected, it really is pretty much, you know, all, all things are possible on the dark side after that. And uh, what America will look like with another term of Trump and his evil minions is really makes me shudder to think about it. Not that all would be lost, not at the end of the world, but it would be pretty shockingly bad. Um, anyway, so with that coming up, it's a good moment to take stock of some of our underlying principles and ideas, many of which I'm going to argue have outlived their usefulness and bring in something new here. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is the electability argument, right? So you, you hear this all the time about which Democrats are electable and shouldn't we go for the most electable candidate? I want to say right from the gate here, I think this is essentially just nonsense. It's brought to you by the chattering classes that like nothing more than drama and keeping you and I away from thinking about the deep issues. They love, again, the kind of horse race politics, who's up, who's down, who could win, who's not. And if Trump has taught us anything, it's that anyone can be president. You can be the worst businessman in American history who lost you know, 95% of your wealth, who lost money in casinos, 
who is one of the worst human beings on the planet and proud of it, and you can become president. So let's just drop this nonsense electability argument. Whoever is a Republican nominee and a Democratic nominee uh, automatically starts with 45% of the electorate in their pocket. You could literally nominate Donald Duck and they would get 45% as long as they were the nominee with a D or an R by their name. And this electability argument is really a form of projection in many ways. It's people projecting their own fears of what other people, they think other people will think about certain candidates. Oh my God, nobody's going to elect a gay guy, so we definitely don't want Pete Buttigieg. Nobody, you know, there's too much sexism, let's not elect a woman. No, you know, this person's too old. You know, all that, you know, not to say that some of it doesn't have, you know, any truth to it, but not enough to make us cringe and, you know, and rattle these things around in our mind and overthink things. My, my sense here, and I think it's well-founded, is that any Democrat can win if they run a solid campaign and they fight, right? So it's, they don't lay down and let the Republicans walk all over them. They run a solid campaign. My guess is whoever wins the Democratic nominee is going to go basically camp out in the upper Midwest for the next six months. I hope they never come to California or New York or any solidly blue state. Just hang out in Wisconsin, you know, Pennsylvania, and uh, Michigan for all I care until November. And so my, my kind of recommendation on that is when you lose the electability argument, as the primary is coming up here, just vote for who you think would be the best president, who you personally like and you like their temperament and thinks they're going to make good decisions, you know, and just and go with it. And just don't worry about what you think other people think about these people. You know, it's really hard to know what other people think. The world's going to be a lot different in 10 months. And so just go with your gut. Uh, you know, whoever you like, the most, whoever you like now, who you really have a good feeling about. And if you don't like any of them candidates, if you all think they're not so that great, then, you know, pick the one you think is the least bad or the least objectionable. Um, because, again, the, the, the worst Democrat is 100 times better than, um, than Trump here. So let's uh, get, our, get our house in order and just, um, you know, vote again for the one who you think would be the best, who you like the best uh, as the primary approaches. So after the break, I'll come back and talk about a kind of new mindset for thinking about how we talk about values and policy. Okay, so on to a discussion of values and policy. And I want to preface this by saying what I'm about to say is not a dig against Elizabeth Warren. But I think the Democrats have drifted too far onto the policy wonky side. I like policy details. I love the podcast, The Weeds, that gets into all the policy details. I do this for a living. 
But if we look back, remember, Hillary Clinton, she had a white paper, a plan for everything. And you know what? Nobody cared, right? Nobody at the end of the day was voting for Hillary Clinton because they had read one of her white papers and thought it was awesome. And so these debates that we're having, and again, oftentimes led by the chattering classes, because the Democrats agree on so much and they have to make them fight about something. So they're you know, having people argue about how to pay for Medicare for all or how much free college is good and you know, how much immigration and not. And you know, the Democrats in response just have a million white papers and position papers. It seems like every week all the presidential candidates are coming out with this stuff. And I just think that's it's it's nonsensible for many reasons. The first, again, is the public doesn't care. And I think whether consciously or not, if you put out 20, 30 plans, the public just thinks you're kind of pandering to people, right? You're just throwing out something for everyone. They don't get a sense of your priorities. And more importantly, they don't get a sense of your values. And so that's the, the new mindset that I want to talk about here. Of course, values are abstract and we need to translate them into policy. But I think people will vote for leaders because they share their values and they trust them to put those values into policy. So I think Democrats, both of us as individuals, the way we talk about our party, our candidates, the things we care about, and what we look for in our candidates, we should put values first all the time. You know, people always bemoan, no one knows what the Democrats stand for. You know, you know what the right wing stands for, right? They're, you know, cut taxes on the rich, small government, although that's a myth, you know, strong national defense, you know, whatever. Even if they're bullshit, we know we can rattle them off what the right wing believes in. And yet the left, as much as I think I have a pretty good sense, I can see why the general public is confused. And so here's the values that I think we should put forth that I think are quite uh, amenable to really cobbling together a pretty strong majority if we can really do the work to make sure these values come through. And they're they're the ones you would typically think of with Democrats, but fairness, right? Tell people that, you know, we care about fairness. We want a fair system that, you know, so much of the, the rules of the game are rigged to the rich and to people who already have And a lot of people are left out of the prosperity of America. And we want to create a more fair America where more people can share in that prosperity. We want equality. We believe that all American citizens, all permanent residents of America, all human beings are ultimately equal and deserve equal respect, uh, equal justice before the law, and equal opportunity. Right. So equality is a big thing, not necessarily equality of outcome. We're not trying to equalize everyone's income, but everybody should have certainly equal justice and equal opportunity and, um, and you know, an equal access to basic resources such as health care and education. I think another key uh, democratic value that we should emphasize is progress, that we, we want to make progress on issues. We're here to move the country forward, to bring it to bigger and better things, to think big, We don't want to hold on to the past as much as to build a new future, right? And I think more broadly, if we want to get into details, the narrative we should be saying, you know, that I think speaks to most Americans is, you know, look, many people who fall on hard times didn't deserve it. Sometimes they're children or young people, or sometimes it's an illness, or sometimes it's a recession, right? That just comes out of the blue and you get out of college and you're in a recession, right? That's not your fault. 
And there are many people also who are filthy rich who got a lot of luck and big breaks along the way, whether it was, you know, a rich family and fancy private schools and tutors or their, you know, their dad got them the special internship or whatever it is, right, inheritance, or they just happened to be born at the right time and have some good skills and got lucky and met the right people. And that's great. We want to reward, you know, hard work, but we don't want to idolize success. We want to make clear here that there's just a lot of luck in life, right? That a lot of the both the good and bad is really not based on your own merit, right? That meritocracy is kind of an illusion. There's, you know, in the middle, right, that in general, if you work hard, you get more. And if you work less, you get less. But that that really doesn't tell the whole story, that there's just so much luck. And, and government's role was to kind of help smooth the edges, right? If, you, if you're on hard times to help you out. And also, if you're fabulously wealthy, to take a little piece of that to help with the rest of society, to help the public goods and the public space to make things better for everybody. Because, you know, you don't necessarily deserve every penny you got there through hard work, right? That, you know, there's a little bit that you owe society to give something back, right? And, and I think these are just core fundamental values that if if people got that across, like, hey, what do Democrats stand for? Democrats want a fair society. They want equal society. They want opportunity and justice. And they realize the role of luck in life. And they want to kind of smooth out the rough edges that life you know, brings uh, to many people. Um, and so I think, I think people would get behind that. You know, I'll add one more thing here is just on the voting rights again. You know, everywhere on state ballot initiatives, when it's enfranchising felons, when it's getting rid of gerrymandering, when it's um, you know doing all kinds of things for voter, uh, you know, voting rights. Even Republicans, the rank and file Republicans, most of them don't even know what the Republican Party is doing to suppress voting rights and to to you know hamper democracy. You know, we we whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, most people think believe in the fundamental right of voting and citizenship, and so. You know, speaking about that, that we want to put in place as Democrats structures that make it easy for people to vote, that everyone can participate, and that whoever has the best ideas wins. You know, I think that is just incredibly, incredibly powerful, right? Um, But again, the key thing here is that, you know, the meritocracy isn't all that it's cracked up to be, and that luck plays probably too much of a role in life, and, and and the Democrats are here to kind of help, help use the power of government you know, help those who are disadvantaged and give everyone, you know, a fair chance at, at living a, a solid American life. So after the uh, break, I'll come back with some some more on kind of some of the labels that I think we've gotten used to in American society that are not serving us well. Okay, so my next kind of recommendation here is 
to fight back against the labels that are just thrown around in our body politic. So liberal, right? Liberals thrown around all the all the time, and I don't mind the topic or the label and the and the ideas that go with it. I consider myself a liberal, and I'd be happy to defend that. But there's classical liberal, there's neoliberal, there's European liberal, and it's just not that helpful. And so many on the right have been taught that liberal is this bad word, and they hate liberals. That you know what? It's not really, you know, I'd certainly be happy to defend it if someone called me a liberal, but it's not, I don't need to cling to that. Socialist. Obviously, this word has just been abused so much. It's lost virtually all meaning. I, I saw an article after Boris Johnston uh, won that huge victory in the UK a few weeks ago, and the, it was a national review, you know, the conservative rag that really, you know, for, for the fact that there's a lot of smart people there that every now and then have something good to say, it really just is another propaganda outlet for the right that kind of uh, dresses up very ugly policy and, and fancy language with a little extra sophistication. And, and in this article in the National Review, it said, you know, one thing we found out is socialism, nobody wants socialism in the UK, something like that. You know, the fact that the conservatives won so hardcore that it was you know socialism was rejected in the uk what's so ironic about that is the uk has socialized medicine right the the national health service of the uk is literally socialized medicine in the purest form the doctors are all paid and hired by the government there's no private insurance there's no deductibles there's no anything it's literally pure socialized medicine and the Conservative Party in Britain, Boris Johnson, he was actually making pledges that he's going to spend more money on the National Health Service now that they're not going to you know, be part of the EU. That's been one of the big things in the Brexit lie is that the EU was taking so much money. And so we're going to put that money into the National Health Service. So here we have the, the, the right wing National Review talking about how socialism lost in the UK when in fact... The conservative members of the UK were actually talking about strengthening a socialist healthcare system. So the point being here is that socialism just really is just a label that's usually meant to degrade and to kind of misinform. And, you know, there are some obviously very legitimate democratic socialists in America and they're doing some great work. And if Bernie happens to be the nominee, we'll hear a lot more about socialism. But I think we sh it's just too much baggage. Let's jettison it. Another one, centrist. Everyone talks about, I want a centrist candidate, or I'm a centrist. I'm not on the extreme. Again, a completely milquetoast, nonsensical description. Centrism, what does that mean? Does that mean you want universal health care or not? Does that mean you believe in climate change and want to do something about it or not? Does it mean you believe that people shouldn't be able to get assault weapons at 18 in a Walmart and unlimited ammo or not? It just It's such a... It's one of those wishy-washy terms. And also, the right wing has been brilliant. You know, they are, they are evil, but they are geniuses on, on many dimensions of just moving the goalposts, right? So as the right wing has moved really off the reservation, again, the, the GOP and the right wing in America is the most far-right extremist movement in the modern advanced world. So as they move to the right, centrist moves to the right. Because if you're going to meet in the middle and the left has largely, you know, maybe they, the left has certainly moved more to the left over the last few years, but not nearly as much as the right, then centrist keeps 
uh, favoring the right wing. The more rightward they move, centrism moves in their direction. And so it just is a, a really unhelpful term. Finally, bipartisan. I think I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but how does that convey any merit or content? This bill was bipartisan. We're seeking bipartisanship. It says nothing. You can have bipartisanship that's for something that's absolute garbage. Like, for example, the Iraq War. That, you know, the, the authorization of military force was heavily bipartisan. And that led to one of the worst foreign policy disasters in U.S. history. Right? And in fact, uh, Obamacare, which was highly partisan. No Republicans, not a single Republican voted for Obamacare. And yet it's some of the best health care legislation we've had in the last... 50 years, right? So bipartisan means nothing. All of these labels are basically nonsense, right? They're just there to obscure and to make you sound sophisticated. And basically, it's, it's the lazy person's, you know, way to talk. Well, I'm a centrist. I'm a socialist. I'm a this. I'm a that. Again, lead with values, right? Lead with what you believe in as your core values. And then leave it to other people to label it whatever they want, you know? And just a few last thoughts on that. You know, think about today. We still call Republicans conservatives, right? We still, even though they voted for Donald Trump, who doesn't believe in free trade, right? Who lies like, you know, like, it, you know, like almost like lying is a virtue. And even if we go back a little further, what's conservative about starting wars and wasting trillions of dollars? Bush was a conservative, compassionate conservative, Really? I mean, what does that even mean? What's conservative about massive corruption and dishonesty and racism? I mean, when I think of the conservative movement in 2020, I just think of just the most the corrupt, dishonest, lying and cheating and racist group of just kind of Neanderthals. There's nothing conservative about that at all. There's actually quite a lot of cons- about conservatism that I respect, but there's nothing conservative about the modern Republican Party. It's just another useless label. So my point here is that labels obscure more than they illuminate. And we really need more light these days. And again, the way to get that light is to focus on our values. And so let's drop the labels and focus on the values and shine some light on those. After the break, I'll come back with my final antidote. Okay, so for the antidote today, it's going to be brief because in a lot of ways the whole episode was kind of recommendations and in some ways antidotes for the madness. Um, But just to kind of encapsulate it here, 
I recommend just don't get wrapped up in the horse race, right? In the political jockeying and who's up and who's down in the polls. I'm not even paying attention to polls at all, right? The only poll that matters is the poll on election day. That is the only poll that matters. And, you know, the polls of, of the primary, you know, whoever wins the primary, that poll matters. But, you know, polls are just more distracting than anything else, right? And, of course, the horse race is what the media loves. It's kind of what generates people's engagement instead of the substance. But we really need to fight back against that and not get wrapped up in that. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, right? What is it we want? We want a vibrant, tolerant, expansive, and prosperous nation where integrity and truth mean something, right? Where our leaders have integrity and truth and speak to us as adults, you know, with honesty. And we can make this happen, right? This is within our grasp to make, uh, to make it happen. You know, the dark side, the right wing has it easier and always will because it's easier to destroy than to create. You know, this asymmetry has been with us forever and it will be with us forever. Our job will always be harder because we're trying to actually build something and they're trying to destroy something. And so building is harder and we just need to get used to it. And so the energy that we need, the effort we need for that really needs to be focused. And we need to be incredibly focused in this year if we are going to prevail and and get America back on course for a brighter future. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please rate it. Please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And if you like the music, uh, there's also a Spotify account, DZA Podcast uh, playlist on Spotify that has all the tracks that I've been playing these last couple years. So with that, everybody, again, Happy New Year and have a great one. Take care.